0: Welcome to HashiCast, the self-proclaimed number one podcast about the world of DevOps practices, tools, and practitioners. It's the first HashiCast of the year. Hey, Rosemary.
1: I'm excited to be here with you kicking off 2020. Do you want to tell me, everyone, that we're
0: talking to? So this is a really special episode. I'm pretty excited for it. It's a little longer than our usual, and it's formatted a little differently, but I think it's on a topic that's rather important, and it's been getting a lot of discussion in the technology industry today. We are going to be talking about burnout. Rightfully so.
1: Work-life balance is a really important topic.
0: Yeah, and I thought it was an important enough topic to warrant three guests and each of them have their own perspective on it because I think that burnout is a really dimensional concept. So, we have three guests for the main part of the episode. We'll start with Don Parsick from Launch Darkly, who will talk about how burnout affects you from an individual standpoint. And then we'll chat with Johnny Leroy from ThoughtWorks about how burnout affects managers and leadership. And we'll finally finish with Dr. Adam Formal, who will provide some professional and clinical language around burnout. So we've got three different points of view. Before we play and react to some of the interviews with our guest, Katie, I know you had a chance to sit down with Bruce, our Perth HashiCorp user group organizer.
1: Yeah, Bruce is wonderful. We actually recorded this before the brush fires began in Australia, and I'm glad we were able to chat with him. But I do want to say that on behalf of HashiCorp, Australia is in our thoughts during this time. And I hope that everyone and everyone's families are safe. Hey Bruce, thanks for being here today. I'm hoping that you can kick off this hug segment by telling us how you got the Perth hug started and how your first meetup went.
2: The meetup went really well. Um, It was a great event, everyone had a great time. I think um, we actually kicked off planning that about six months earlier. Um, It took a while to kind of get off the ground um just because of uh we were trying to get our speakers and get the the traction of getting people over and, and, and interest interested in coming. Um although we had a lot of interest in coming but it was uh getting people or coming to come and speak um at the at the user group. But I kinda of wanted to get I got into actually uh I got into starting the user group because I got into using Terraform and Vault and uh at a previous role I had and I just absolutely loved the products. Um, it was great fun to use. I mean, I'm, my background is, is more infrastructure and, and ops um, with a little bit of testing sprinkled in there. Um, and I, I'm, not a, I'm not a developer. And I, just, it was, I just found using something like Terraform such an easy way to provision code and uh, provision infrastructure. Sorry, And it, it kind of made sense. Um, and I kind of wanted to learn more. Uh, and so I was reading the articles coming out, uh, going on the the learn, #learn platform, uh, and that was great. Was, but I kind of, I just kind of had that thirst, but like wanting to know more, and the, and the community seems so great. From other user groups around uh, the world and, and the country, so I contacted uh, HashCorp on the website, and I was very surprised it wasn't one in Perth. Katie, I think you you reached out to me back in the day, and so we kind of kicked one off then, and had a few false starts, um, but we, we got there in the end. How
1: did you find speakers for your first meetup?
2: Well, it was actually pretty pretty hard initially. Um, I guess either people are nervous about speaking, so. Um, I decided to do a talk on um, on Terraform and using Packer for what I'm currently doing in uh, in my role right now. Actually, a colleague of mine, uh, Evan, he, he did a talk as well on uh, using Terraform just to automate basically your life, really. And that kind of got us kicked off and I'm hoping that we can get the momentum going and keep that going as well.
1: I want to ask two things right now. I want to ask one, if you're going to submit that, you said Terraform on Packer.
2: Yeah, death to click ops. So it's basically just to um, you know, stop jumping into the console and you know clicking your way to get infrastructure.
1: Bruce, do you plan to give your talk death to click ops at HashiTalks?
2: I don't know. I I, I could. I, I haven't thought about it yet.
1: <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot. I would encourage you to. My favorite thing about HashiTalks is that it's you're giving a talk from the comfort of your living room or your home office or wherever you are. So the Perth Hug, was that your first time organizing a meetup?
2: I haven't organized meetups before, um, but I used to own a CrossFit gym. So I organized a lot of events via that. So I owned that for about five, six years. And there's just competitions and nights out and events and nutrition events and stuff like that. So kind of used to doing stuff like that.
1: Yeah, I love that. How did you decide that the Perth Hug was something you wanted to do if you didn't have any... Experience organizing meetups.
2: Um, Well, I just thought, well, there isn't one, and I I wanted to kind of build a community that had like-minded people and and learn more as well. So you know, I'm not an absolute expert in the uh, in all of the products, but you know, I kind of want to want to know more. So, what better place to do that with other people, right?
1: Oh, agreed. And I definitely think that you don't have to be an expert in our tools to organize a meetup. It's a great place to learn. to surround yourself with others that also want to learn how do you juggle your full-time job and personal life and then also the hug
2: i I do a lot i mean obviously i'm a a father i'm a husband uh, i i coach crossfit i i work full-time and um and you know trying to keep up with you know the latest technology and learning more and um just recently just got a um just started a new new role as well um so i tend to uh, time box a lot of stuff so um, if I'm going to either pick up a new skill or organize the hug okay that's what that week I'm doing it and I'm going to spend maybe like an hour at night or um, if I'm going to do something I don't do something during the week or in the day I can just go time box it maybe at lunchtime I'll just do half an hour I'm just going to do some admin or work out you know, if there's a what speakers we can do or how we're going to do this going forward if I kind of just Segments some time then it kind of makes it a bit easier but um yeah i, I get told of quite a lot by my wife to uh for, for not relaxing
1: i also block off time to get things done it's something that um, is relatively new to me i've been doing it for the past year and now there's really no going back it's just so much easier to manage my life and the different things going on but my question for you would be: Do you also block off time to not be doing anything, or to just be spending time with family and unplugging from work? And um, do you block off time for that as well?
2: I try to as best as I can. Um, so, like things like you know, try and not look at your phone after a certain time. If I if I've got a lot on, so I might get up a tiny bit earlier in the morning and and to smash out some stuff in the morning, and then like on the weekends and. And then I know I've got the day with my family, so I can spend time with my daughter. Um, but you know, I guess we're always improving.
1: I have to block off time to just relax, or put something on my calendar that you know do not schedule over yeah. this. Do you have any plans in the coming future to host the Perth Hug?
2: At the moment, I'm looking for a few speakers uh, for our next hug. Um, it being you know December and Christmas time, it's always kind of there's a lot happening with everyone, so. I'm hoping to have one in January if we can. If not, like January or early February. Um, this time around, I, I'm looking. Hopefully, well, what I'd like to do and love to do is more of a hands-on kind of lab um, for people that haven't touched the tools. So, um, getting someone well, like getting um, people in to do just a small kind of one-on-one on Terraform, like. Um, spin up a container or spin up something in AWS or something like that, um, where they can walk away with some knowledge that they can apply once they've um, they've been, um, rather than just sitting there and listening to a talk. Uh, So something a bit more hands-on and kind of interactive would be great.
1: I also find that just leaning into Meetup has a tool that you can message your whole chapter and I think leaning into that and just being communicative and letting them know what you hope to do and giving them your email address that people come to you cuz they want to be involved that's something that I found that I have found to be really helpful in my home chapter in New York City can I expect to see you at Hashi Days Sydney in April
2: Yeah I hope so um I just actually put a business case
1: And this is the first time we've hosted a Hashi Days in the region so I'm really excited. I'm glad to hear that you're excited about it, too.
2: Yeah, I can't wait.
1: Good. I'm glad to hear, and I look forward to seeing you there. Well, I'm going to wrap it up and cut back to Rosemary so that we can learn about burnout. Talk to you
0: later. I'm so glad you got to chat with Bruce. It's so impressive how he juggles a full-time job with being a hug organizer and everything else. It's impressive. Let's talk about juggling, and let's actually get to the burnout portion, shall we? First we have Dawn from LaunchDarkly. I'll let her introduce herself. Well, hi Dawn. I'm so excited to have you on HashiCasts. I came across your writing about burnout on opensource.com and it really resonated with me, especially because I work within the open source community. Can you tell us a little bit about your day-to-day and what you do as a developer advocate for LaunchDarkly?
3: My role is to, as I say, uh, help make people better developers and better humans. And that could take the form of writing. It could take the form of tutorial, speaking, joining podcasts like this. And I focus on both the technical and the human side of technology. So the article on burnout is more on like the human side of it. And there's a part two to that coming, which focuses on like the technical.
0: That's awesome. I think that We tend to talk a lot about technology as technologists. We like focusing on that, and we don't often talk about the human element, uh, or at least how we feel for ourselves. You mentioned that you experienced burnout. What were some indicators for you that helped you realize something wasn't quite right?
3: So when I experienced burnout, it was looking at not having that sense of Uh, autonomy and being able to have my voice heard. Uh, We were in a situation where every day there was a new number one high priority task that was being assigned. And it was a fire drill to, okay, drop everything and go work on this. And then it was, well, why didn't this other project get done? And when questions were raised of like, should we really be doing this and like tell us what the top priority is? The answer was everything's a top priority. And that's not a way that most people can function. Like you have to have like the top priority means just that it is the top, it is the number one. You can't have seven number one priorities. And uh, when I tried to raise concerns and re juggle, you know, workloads, uh, nothing was able to change. And I was getting very tired and very frustrated.
0: Did you ever feel that you were trying to redirect energy to doing something else in lieu of working on your work? So
3: for me, a lot of my job is writing. And when I was burned out, I I couldn't write. The creativity wasn't there. If I had to write uh, a line of copy or a blog article, it took me significantly longer to get that done because I kept hitting these walls and frustration and I didn't like anything that was being produced. I was still producing the same amount, but it wasn't the quality with which what made me happy.
0: Are you in the process of recovering from that burnout or you feel like you've recovered to a point?
3: Uh, I feel like I've recovered to a point. Um, burnout is this weird thing where it's not like, oh, like a, a good night's sleep or a vacation is going to fix it. It takes a significant amount of time to get back from that. And, you know, unfortunately for me, I, I, I got a new job which helped me recover, but I didn't take a break between those two jobs. Um, so I feel like it probably took me a little bit longer.
0: How did you sort of start that process internally? I, I know you mentioned you changed jobs.
3: So I did you know, a number of things for myself. So when I was burned out, I, I'm based on the West Coast and my company was on the East Coast. So I was getting up and working East Coast hours. So getting back to West Coast time was really helpful for me because I, I'm a morning person. I have a puppy and a child and they get up in the morning. And so like I was able to get up in the morning and do things for myself. I was able to go for walks. I was able to eat a healthier breakfast, not sitting at my desk and like shoveling food in my mouth as I was trying to take a meeting at 5.30 in the morning. Um, So those things started to help. And I started focusing more on myself. I scheduled time to go out with friends. I started attending more meetups locally. Um, Just really put myself out there.
0: That's really cool. I definitely was not thinking about this before, but you mentioned about sort of like remote work, right? Um, You being on the West Coast and, you know, a number of your team being on the East Coast. Do you think that remote work contributes to burnout? I do.
3: Yeah. It's one of those strange things because they say one of the things if you're experiencing burnout is to ask to work remotely. But then working remotely brings on additional burnout, at least if you're working remotely full-time, because there's this concept that uh, presence equals productivity. So if people can't see me, they don't know that I'm being productive. And so there's this blurring of the lines between work and home, and it's harder to turn off. And so when you're working more hours and you have that um, inability to turn off, I do think that that partially contributes to burnout. So if for me working remotely, I've, you know, set up an office at home. I try to close the door when I'm not in here. Uh, I try not to do personal work on my laptop. I go and get my, my personal laptop. Um, so I've set up some boundaries and rules, but again, sometimes they, they shift.
0: I definitely experienced that. For the first couple of months when I was at HashiCorp, it was the first time I was working remote full time. And I was working at the dining room table it was not ideal. I was very conflicted because I would go from working on my laptop at meetings at the dining room table and then needing to have dinner at the dining room table. And I remember feeling very stressed about that.
3: Right. It's like I'm eating at my my work table and it doesn't have the same feel. Like I've put like I have a couch in my office because I was working on the couch and I'm like sometimes and I'm like, no, I just need to put a couch in my office. So I have a couch in my office now so I can have like different environments when I need them.
0: We talked a little bit about your own personal experience with burnout and as you continue to recover from it. But more generally, how do you think that DevOps culture is contributing to burnout?
3: Part of it, I think, when we look at DevOps, DevOps for me is about like the people, the processes and the tools. And we focus a lot on the tools and the processes and with the people we're more like, oh, like we're going to do these like Band-Aid approaches. And when you're, you're looking at DevOps, there's this desire to have to know and do all of the things. Um, and yes, it's great to say, like, I built this thing, but also you have to look at, like, well, is there a solution out there that we could use um, on a quicker basis to re- resolve these incidents and these problems instead of building something new? And the other piece of this is, and I don't know if it's necessarily DevOps, but I see a lot in DevOps, is this notion of hero culture, right? So this is the person that I always go to and they always have the answer. And we build these people up and those people end up burning out. And what also happens is you've built this person up and everybody junior and else, they want to be that person. So they start working harder and harder and harder in order to be at that same level.
0: It reminds me of the Phoenix project, right? Where they give, they give this example of there was this one person who knew a lot was the hero uh, became the constraint, and through DevOps, they managed to have everybody else contribute. And they're they're still a hero, but they're they're not uh, expending all the energy to fix things, etc. But it seems like we just sort of raise the bar for everybody. Um, and there's still a bit of heroics that are involved when you're working in a DevOps team or a devops organization. Yeah, it's like
3: it's one thing to like want to help your teammates and that's where like the people piece comes in like you want to work together, you want to collaborate, but there also needs to be boundaries around that so that you're not overworking yourself and not taking on the burden of everything that needs to be done.
0: You mentioned the idea of community care and I think it ties really well into the idea of devops and and growing your team and building a culture there, but What exactly is community care?
3: Community care is when everybody's working towards kind of that that same goal and is aware of how other people are feeling. Um, So there's a lot of empathy, I think, that's involved in community care, where if you're working on an incident, after the incident, do you stop and ask your teammates how they're feeling? What do they need? Do they need a break? We always do postmortems on what happened with the systems. And systems can recover a lot faster than people. So when we're looking at community care, it's on a broader aspect. Like, how are we treating people on a day-to-day basis? And in other communities, you have to look at, like, what is kind of a, a code of conduct around things. If people are c- commenting on PRs, how are they commenting? Are they giving detailed feedback? Are they helping the other people grow? Or is it just like, well, this is garbage. Like, those types of comments don't help, and they don't help grow the community.
0: Yeah, I love how you mentioned even beyond, right, within your team, in your organization, to open source communities. I think, uh, you know, a lot of open source communities have codes of conduct, but the contributor barrier to entry is very high. Um, And a number of maintainers are juggling full-time jobs with open source contribution and probably public speaking.
3: So I think it's this balance of like, how do we bring junior people in? How do we help other people contribute to this? If people aren't contributing, you have to look at why. Like what's going on with this? Like what's that culture that's stopping people from? contributing.
0: So if you were to add something to the definition of DevOps um, around wellness and mental health and even community in general, what would it be?
3: We're building software for humans. Yes, yeah, so there might be AI components involved in all of that, but there still is a human involved in this. And we, we need to remember to put people first.
0: I love that. It's keeping in line with a lot of the 2019 DevOps for good ideas, right? So how do we use DevOps and understand the human impact of of what we're doing with the tools and the processes associated with that culture? Um, And it's a a nice thing to add. I like that. As per HashiCast tradition, we have one final question for you. This is a slightly less serious question. But if you were a technology that's very hyped right now... (sighs) What would you be?
3: A technology that's hyped right now. I'm containers because I like to compartmentalize things and, you know, not have, you know, work and home and other things overlap. Well, sometimes they do. Sometimes they're shared pieces between them. um, I like to keep them all separate.
0: So Katie, what did you think of what Don had to say?
1: I think that Dawn really spoke truth to the human side of technology and a need for empathy and community care. I also agree that remote work does lead to a certain type of burnout, or at least the potential for burnout. And it is important for us to set these boundaries and pay special care to how we treat one another on and off of our teams.
0: Yeah, me too. I was telling. Dawn about how HashiCorp's remote culture is great in a lot of ways, but also it's sometimes hard because you could be working out of your living room or out of your bedroom and you have to find ways to set aside work for the day. Next, we actually chatted with Johnny from ThoughtWorks. I asked Johnny what his day-to-day looked like, and here's what he had to say. You are the Head of Technology in North America for ThoughtWorks, which I imagine is a role with lots of responsibility for driving technology strategy. What does your day-to-day look like?
4: Yeah, there's a fair amount of responsibility. Um, The day-to-day is a little bit mixed uh, because there's almost three different jobs. There's uh, helping running a consulting company, so making sure we've got the the right people on board, we're training the right people, we're recruiting the right, right people. Then there's supporting um, some of our key technology leaders on the various different client accounts they're working on and kind of being their shoulders to cry on or their advisor. And then there's the third job of whichever clients I'm working with at the time, actually helping them progress whatever we're building for them or how we're helping them transform. So trying to balance all those three jobs uh, can be fun at times.
0: As someone who's a very experienced coach and mentor, and also someone who runs a technology business, what do you see as the cost of burnout to an organization?
4: Yeah, I think there's a few costs. Um, you know, there's you know short-term and, and long-term ones, but the, the key bit is any good team and any good organization is dependent on good teams and good teams are dependent on people who can operate well. And as, you, as people are getting more tired, more burnt out, their ability to operate goes downhill not just ability to operate as an as an individual but ability to cooperate with other people in the team and that social nature of making software is a key piece and the more tired and ragged you are at the end of um um, your tether the harder it is to actually sort of cooperate with other people you know i'm when i'm super tired i've my my temper is shorter and i'm less good at um um dealing with people um and stepping back one level for us as an organization we it's a very competitive market and so we're looking at a whole range of ways of making sure we attract and retain great engineering talent. And there's lots of different dimensions to that. But setting up an environment where people can do great work for the long term is, is vital. Because if people are feeling too under pressure or too um, wound down or um, ground down by, by, by the work or the travel in a consulting organization, then they're going to start looking around and saying, hey, is there another option that uh, is maybe as interesting but slightly lower pressure? Um, And so it's it's vital just from a hard-nosed capitalist business perspective of if you want to retain good people, you've got to set up an environment where they can um, feel healthy for the long term.
0: How do you empower the managers and team leaders to help their teams actually take some recovery time?
4: Yeah, I think there's a few different dimensions. Um, Maybe I'll mention three important ones. So one is just is policy. Actually, as an organization, you've got to have decent policies about, for example, if you're having an on-call or pager duty, you need good policies about recovery time and how much on-call duty is fair or is acceptable, how much time you need to take off before coming back to work. So there's policies you can set up around um, that and around overtime and extra time. Um, I think there's another bit around projects and product management of taking feedback from how long it actually takes you to build software and feeding that back into your planning, because all organizations want to push and want to push. But if you keep pushing false deadlines and false dates, you're going to grind your teams and grind your teams. And there's this great agile concept that's our XP concept, that's sometimes forgotten about sustainable pace. And really, yes, it's fine to be working hard and every now and again to put in some long hours, but you need to get a team to a place where they can actually be sustainable. But then the final one that I think is actually most important is modeling behavior and in terms of how late you're staying or just in what you say when someone says they're they're sick. If someone you know messages to say, hey, I'm not feeling too good. Making sure that you say stay home, get well, take the time and having that as sort of priority number one and making it clear that's priority number one rather than, hey, it's a big day. We need you. <laughs> We're humans and we're human organizations. I think that's it. that's the actually the most important bit and everything else can flow from that.
0: I didn't actually know that extreme programming, XP, which is what you mentioned before, XP had a component about sustainable pace. Interesting.
4: Maybe a detail, but um, if you couple sustainable pace with some of the other parts of Agile and XP about test-driven development, about Yagni, you're not going to need it, keep it simple, um, these great concepts of what's the simplest thing that could possibly work for this. Um, it stops you from overdoing things. So you stay focused on how do I build something small and release it, build something small and release it. Um, and that has a whole bunch of benefits. Um, one, it stops you from building too much. Um, and so you've got a better chance of hitting your date. But it also means if you're going in these small little batches of work and each little batch is tested and deployed, um, then, It doesn't actually matter when you stop or when you call the deadline because you should always be in a releasable state.
0: Ashley McNamara, during a talk she did for all things open mentioned that as a manager, it helps to set expectations within your team and hearing you talk about applying sort of these agile practices, right. To the pace of delivery makes me start to think that maybe it also has to do with aligning expectations as a team as well. If you're delivering small, the expectations are manageable. You're pretty well-defined to a certain degree, rather than these big, vague expectations, and you're not sure if you're going to make that deadline or delivery date.
4: Pretty much my first day or my first week working at ThoughtWorks, sitting down, um, pairing with um, uh, with another person. We were back in the UK, and I was a little bit scared and intimidated because it was my first day at ThoughtWorks, and we were doing enterprise software. It was scary, it the big E-word. Um, and... We would write a little test, write a little bit of code, write a little test, write a little bit of code. And all the code we wrote was super simple. And before I knew it, a few hours later, we'd finish the story. And I was like, hold on, where was the hard bit? Um, And I realized that the skill was breaking down the big hard story into lots of simple little stories. So there is a skill in how you break down work. And that's one of the arts is really breaking down work into small, manageable, sensible chunks. But once you do that, actually, then it gets easy. Um, And so the it shouldn't be hard, your work should be easy. Um, the hard part is just how to slice it to make it so.
0: I, didn't, I just didn't know XP had, had that little asterisk about sustainable pace and it, it makes me think about DevOps culture, right? It's really focused on improving human behavior, specifically communication and collaboration, but it really doesn't seem to include anything about sustainability or mental health or managing stress. So if you were to think about adding a mental health component or a similar component to XP um, to DevOps culture, what would it be?
4: Yeah, that's an interesting one because I see, I, I see a thread running through DevOps culture and agile and XP and even sort of lean thinking, and it all is a humane way of working in my mind. If, if, if we look back um, um, in the last century, there were two big um, approaches to sort of industrial management. There was, um taylorism which was um very much about the um uh, managing the um the factory and division of labor and the underlying thought was that um people were stupid and lazy and needed to be micromanaged um and maybe that made sense when actually there was a, a bunch of people moving to the cities and had very they weren't lazy and evil but they had very few skills and so when you were bringing people into the early ford uh, manufacturing plants they had to be tightly managed um, what came um, through Lean and out of Japan and out of people like thinkers like Deming was ideas that um, um, people are inherently good and it's bad systems that will hold them back. For um, me, XP, Agile, DevOps are all about um, enabling people to do their best work. And so we look at how do we set up teams for success in terms of giving them the right tools, giving them autonomy, giving them the right information. But I think there's a piece of how you set teams up so they can manage their pace um, and be good for the long term. Um, this is a tricky one, um, particularly in startup culture, of you want to rush, you want to get to market, you want to prove out your product. But at some point, you've got to work out, actually, how to settle into your rhythm. Um, you know, you're know, you running a, a marathon or an Ironman or something, rather than just a sprint. And at some point, you've got to settle into that right rhythm. Um, and so there are some special skills that are sometimes forgotten in teams. and you know, a scrum master, we talk about iteration masters, um, are the type of people who help coach teams of how to settle into a good rhythm. Um, I've got a good friend and colleague who, he describes his work as a flow coach. He gets teams into into a flow. Now it's not a well understood role. Like, is that the product manager's job? Is that an engineering manager? Whose job is that? Um, But it's vital that someone on the team is focusing on how do we keep the team healthy in terms of moving features through it? How do we keep the team healthy in terms of people learning? And how do we keep the team healthy for the long term in terms of not burning out? And someone needs to be monitoring that. You know, it can just be a hat you wear. It doesn't have to be a brand new role. Um, but we need to be we need to be thinking about that.
0: I actually feel like I need to now do more reading. <laughs> um, so if I was curious to learn more about all of these topics, what are some recommendations that you could make?
4: Ooh. Um, I may have to get back to you on the best um, books or videos or um, podcasts on that.
0: I'll definitely include that as part of the podcast notes for this episode. I think it'd be really interesting because we did talk with Don about thinking about burnout from an individual level. And I think this has been a really great discussion about thinking about burnout from... A larger level from an organization level. So, thank you so much for kind of giving some thoughts on that.
4: You're welcome. It's been really interesting.
0: Yeah. Now, we have one final question for you. It's part of a tradition that we have on HashiCasts, and it's a slightly less serious question.
1: If you were.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Ready? You're yourself for this, okay? If you were. A very hyped technology right now, what would you be?
4: You see, I feel like the opposite of a hyped technology. I feel like I'm getting slightly over the hill and getting a little bit bloated with features. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's probably going to be a little mean about, uh, I've got to be careful about which technologies I call out of uh, saying they're past their peak and getting bloated with features. I'm clearly Java. <laughs>
0: Well, it's still hyped, you know, still a lot of people use Java.
4: Okay, I'm Kotlin on the JVM. How about that?
0: So I can't actually confirm that Kotlin on the JVM is hyped, but if anybody thinks that it is, feel free to reach out to us. Katie, I know Johnny mentioned quite a bit of software development theory, and he went into burnout from a management standpoint in our discussion. What stood out to you? What stood out to me? is
1: that, yes, a healthy work environment is absolutely key to retaining good people, and that people are inherently good. And it's the systems that sometimes need improvement. And also that as a manager, it is your responsibility to align and set these agile expectations for
0: your team of inherently good people. We have someone who is not a technologist on the podcast. He is actually a psychologist. I chatted with Dr. Adam Formel. Uh, I realized that I didn't know if burnout was a diagnosis or if it was something clinical, so I asked him about it. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
5: I am a clinical psychology PhD and a credentialed alcohol and substance use counselor. I've been working in the field for about 10 years in all facets of mental health, including college counseling centers, hospitals, outpatient clinics.
0: Adam, I read a lot of pop psychology, and I realized that I just know the term burnout, people seem to use it a lot in the articles, but I've never actually seen a clinical definition of burnout, is there one?
5: That's a great question. So burnout has been studied as a concept since the late 1970s, but it hasn't been till recently that the World Health Organization has been able to create an actual clinical definition. And so in the most recent editions of the International Classification of Diseases, otherwise known as the ICD, in the editions 10 and 11, uh, they define burnout as feeling energy depletion or exhaustion. Increased mental distance from your job or feelings of negativism or cynicism related to your job, and reduced professional efficacy, or in layman's terms, doing a poor job on the job. Uh, Symptoms are particularly related to one's job and only one's job and can often mimic depression and anxiety. And in these instances, the stress that is perceived is greater than a person's capacity to cope.
0: Something that really stood out to me is that a number of technologists have described their personal anecdotes about burnout. And Mm -hmm. you had the opportunity to listen to both Don and Johnny. What did you think of their commentary?
5: First off, I think both of their commentaries were wonderful as a representation of real experiences, both from an individual perspective and from a managerial perspective. Um, I thought Don's expression of her phenomenological experience her lived experience perfectly coincides with the typical predictors of burnout uh, in a clinical sense. So that includes poor communication or management practices, limited participation in decision-making or feeling of low autonomy, uh, low levels of support for employees, inflexible working hours and working conditions, and unclear tasks and objectives. Uh, With Johnny, uh, I loved his ideas from a managerial perspective of sustainable pace and modeling behavior for employees. I think that really does emphasize the empathic nature of being a good manager. And it coincides with a lot of the recommendations that the World Health Organization has for employers, uh, which includes really early intervention and prevention, which is the key, as Johnny said, checking in.
0: Can you repeat what you said about phenomena ph- can you? What is that word?
5: Phenomenological experience is understanding a person's unique world of experience from their own perspective, not from a third-person perspective, not from a diagnostic perspective. Really getting to know empathically a person from walking in their shoes, seeing the world through their eyes.
0: I learned a new word today. Thanks for that. So. You know, let's say I'm feeling some burnout, but I'm not really sure, right? So I listened to Don, I listened to Johnny, and I listened to some of what you had to say about the clinical definition of burnout. Mm -hmm. But I'm just really not sure if I'm feeling it or not. What are some pulse checks I can ask myself to validate how I'm feeling?
5: Uh, Colloquially, there's a concept called Sunday syndrome. And it's really that feeling of dread before going back to work for on a weekend. I think that's a very important indicator of recognizing when you're feeling a lot of stress, particularly from the job. It's that anticipatory anxiety that comes up that makes someone not feel comfortable. Other indicators can be feeling down or depressed at work specifically. Um, sometimes it means increasing substance use, taking more time off, loss of productivity, and just not feeling good within the context of a job.
0: So you're saying it's not like the case of the Mondays. It's called Sunday syndrome.
5: Yes, absolutely. It's anticipating how bad it is going to be as opposed to how bad it is.
0: Got it. I maybe do these pulse checks and I'm starting to think that I need some resources. I need some professional help or I need some additional resources I can read So what can I use? What resources are out there for me to look at?
5: Yeah, I feel a lot of people don't know what kinds of support are out there. In addition to the obvious support that we already have at our disposal, including talking to friends, family, uh, various forms of self-care, just sleeping right, eating right, exercising, going to the doctor, uh, professional resources can include, I think a good one is the Psychology Today website where you can choose what issues you're particularly working on or you want to address, where you live and what insurance you have so it can best tailor the experience to what you're looking to get out of it.
0: What can a manager or a leader offer to their teams?
5: Yeah, I think a lot of it coincides with what Johnny had said earlier, including really being a model for the employees and, being an empathic voice, being someone who listens um, and encourages someone to take time off if they need it. Additionally, they can partner with a mental health organization for referrals to make the stigma a little bit uh, less uh, intense for people and also just bringing it up in conversation. Additionally, I think even a simple check-in with employees to see how they're doing on a regular basis can go a long way.
0: Something that you, Johnny, and Dawn have taught me as part of this podcast is how to focus on building a safe space to talk about community care within your organization, and I think that's really powerful. I know that the podcast comes from a very privileged perspective when it comes to burnout and mental health, and I love hearing that there are resources out there and the discussions happening within the community to build more awareness around it. And so even if it may not apply to your workplace, at the very least, there are resources to understand how it can be better prevented or better addressed within the companies.
5: Yeah, and uh, one thing I want to uh, say to all the managers out there is, uh, according to the World Health Organization, every $1 spent on mental health returns $4 in productivity.
0: Wow. That's a really interesting number. A call out to all of the managers out there. It seems like it's well worth the investment on mental health, and I hope some of this information provides the justification to better some mental health programs within your organization. We have one final question for you, Adam. As per HashiCast tradition, I know you're not in the technology industry. No, I'm not. But I think you could still answer this question to a certain extent. If you were a technology that is being hyped right now, what would you be?
5: I think I really like word prediction algorithms. According to uh, linguists Lakoff and Johnson, a conversation is one of the most difficult cognitive tasks. And there are currently bots that are working on Uh, doing therapy-like services for people, and being able to predict how to respond to someone when they're having a really difficult time is fascinating to me.
0: I was so surprised that Adam could answer the secret question this time around. I am pretty sure he did a fair bit of research after hearing some of the other guests. So Katie, how did it feel to hear about burnout from someone who is a mental health professional?
1: Yeah, so I have definitely just become a better person for knowing the clinical definition of burnout, including the phenomenological perspective and how that ties into empathetic managerial styles and community care.
0: I feel like you learned a lot from that.
1: (laughs) I did learn a lot. (laughs) You even used all the terms. Should I share my... My overhyped tech that I would be. (laughs) Yes, yes. What is your
0: overhyped tech?
1: The overhyped tech that I would be is probably any form of digital assistant. Some are definitely better than others. But in my life, I utilize Siri to her utmost capacity, which let me tell you is not much. And then Amazon Alexa. um, Talk
0: to text all of that. I'm a fan. Wow. I don't actually even use it, to be honest. On that note, I hope this episode provided some education for those who might be feeling a little burnt out and maybe for the managers and companies out there, some ideas for growing and supporting your teams in a really healthy way. Don, Johnny, and Adam, if you're listening, thank you so much for coming on this podcast and speaking about burnout. I appreciate all of your different views and Letting me ask you a bunch of questions.
1: To our listeners, thank you for helping us kick off 2020 and listening to the first HashiCast of the year. Let's all commit to taking care of ourselves and our
2: teams.
0: You've been listening to HashiCasts with your hosts, Katie Reese, and Rosemary Wong. Today's guests have been Don Parsick, Johnny LeRoy, and Dr. Adam Warwell. Be sure to tune in.